All right, I'm really excited about our speaker tonight. You guys are going to love him. Um, I'm going to introduce him in a minute. But first of all, I wanted to read a little bit of a story from the Bible for you because one of the things we want to make sure happens here at BASIC is that we don't make any assumptions about who's in the room. Like, we want people in the room who've never opened their Bible, and we want people in the room who've read their Bible through several times. So uh, Halkin, I was going to share a story tonight that's from the Old Testament, and it's really important to us that you um, don't feel like you should know the story. So I'm going to just paraphrase it. Um, if you want to have the full version, you can go to Genesis 37 and start reading. So here it goes. I'm going to talk really fast because I want to leave Halkin a lot of time. So this is a story of Joseph. He's 17 years old. At the time we picked the story up, he's a shepherd along with his brothers, Joseph was kind of a tattletale. He would um, go out with his brothers in the field, and then he would go and give bad reports about his brothers to his father. Joseph's father also loved him more than any of his other children. He favored Joseph so much that the brothers grew to hate Joseph. Then Joseph had a vision that all of his brothers would bow down to him. And then he told his brothers and they hated him even more. Then he had another vision, another dream, and he told it to his brothers again. He said, uh, listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time, it wasn't only you guys that bowed down to me. It was the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. So by this point, you know, Joseph is just not very popular with his family. He tells his father his vision, and his father was angry and says, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? So this happens, and then one day, Joseph's dad sent him out to the field to find his brothers and to come back and give him a report. And Joseph went to find his brothers, and they saw him a ways off, and they were like, oh, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him and throw him into a pit. This is really what it says. And we can tell dad that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll come, then we'll see what comes of his dreams and visions. But his brother Reuben tried to rescue him from their hands, and he said, well, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit and leave him there. And so Joseph came to his brothers. They threw him into a pit, and then they just sat down and had a meal. And then they looked up and saw a caravan coming on its way to Egypt. And Judah, one of his other brothers, said, you know, what are we really going to gain if we kill him? Why don't we sell him? So the caravan comes up to them, and they sell their brother into slavery to these people on the caravan on their way to Egypt. So that's great at this point. Joseph is sold into slavery into Egypt um, to a man named Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials. And this is what the Bible says. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Now, Joseph was a well-built and handsome man. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Well, 17-year-old Joseph resisted her, and he said, My master made no one greater than me in this house. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So one day when he resisted her, she accused him of attacking her, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. The warden put Joseph in charge of all the people in prison, 
and he made him responsible for everything. It's a crazy story. While in prison, Joseph started interpreting the dreams of these two guys. One of them ended up dead. One of them ended up being okay. And then two years later, Pharaoh had a dream, and it was like this, Pharaoh's dream. Seven sleek and beautiful, well-fed cattle came up out of the Nile and started grazing, followed by uh, seven very skinny, gaunt, real sickly cattle came up out of the Nile and ate the sleek cattle. Then Pharaoh woke up, fell back to sleep, and had another dream about this stalk of grain with seven heads on it, and then seven other stalks of grain that were real sick and scorched by the sun, like devoured the healthy stalk of grain. Pharaoh woke up and freaked out and tried to figure out what the dream was about, but none of the magicians or wise men in Egypt could interpret the dream. And eventually, Pharaoh was told about the young man in prison that's good at um, interpreting dreams. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he came, and he said, no one can interpret the dream. Can you do it? And Joseph said, I cannot do it, but God will give you the answers you need. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream, and Joseph said, okay, this is the deal. Both of the dreams mean the same thing. There will be seven years of abundant harvests, plenty of food, good rain, and sunshine, followed by seven years of the worst drought, crop failure, and famine that the world has ever seen. The famine will be so bad that no one will even remember the seven years of abundance. So Joseph said, Pharaoh, you need to find a really smart guy to take care of your business because this is going to be really ugly. And Pharaoh was like, well, apparently you're a really smart guy, so why don't you take care of things so it doesn't get really ugly? So during the seven years of abundance, Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of the entire land of Egypt, everything. The only thing that was above Joseph was the king of Egypt himself. And you guys probably are starting to think of a movie maybe you saw when you were a kid. But during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain. The Bible says it's like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. The seven years of abundance came to an end, and the seven years of famine began. Um, But just like Joseph said, there was enough food for everybody. Um, People not only in Egypt were starving, but people all over the world Even his um, brothers and his family came from far away to get grain. So it's just this amazing story. And Halkanoo is going to come. Halkanoo is going to come. And he is going to tell us uh, how this story has affected his life. So I want to introduce Halkanoo. He has become a good friend of mine. You can go ahead and come on up. In, I think it was 2009, I had the privilege of being able to go to Mozambique, where Halkanoo is uh, one of the regional directors for Food for the Hungry. He has been instrumental in implementing a child development project that includes um, helping children go to school, building schools, helping children get medical care that they need, um, just building relationships in the community with church leaders, planting churches, um, uh, training pastors. And when everywhere we went, when Halkano was with us, people knew him and loved him. So you could see that... um, The vision that Food for the Hungry has for the people in this area of Gorongosa and Mozambique was actually being lived out, and the love of Jesus was being proclaimed. So it's my pleasure and privilege to introduce Halkano. Give him a big hand. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think we're fine to go home now because she did every story and that I wanted to speak here. And she mentioned it in a very good language that I couldn't make it. Um... She already said, my name is Halkano. Um, I was working for 
some organizations, World Vision is one. Thank you for raising resources for World Vision. I worked for World Vision for some time, then I moved to Food for the Hungry. So I was a program director in Mozambique for Food for the Hungry for some years, and God directed my way to UNI, and I'm here and I'm doing my master's in community health education. Um, that actually come from this story. I've, I've, I've done my master's in public administration earlier, but because of this story that is actually uh, in my life, my own life story, then God directed me to this, to this uh, new um, uh, skill or university to, to gain some skill so that I can also uh, uh, help people more. Um, in my life, I was asking, I was wrestling with several questions. And when I was, and still I'm, 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 I'm still asking several questions. And when I was a program director in Mozambique, I was a manager. I was managing a big budget, just like more than three mil, um, five million dollar, those kind of budgets and huge number of staff. So I was wrestling with the question that how it is possible to be servant leader, because with the leadership position given to you comes authority. So I would terminate contract of people, I would punish some of the people, I would send them off, I would demote them, I would increase salary, I would do whatever I want to do. So how it is possible to be a Christian leader, servant leader? What does it mean really? Because I'm leading at the same time how I can be a servant. Those are the questions that I was frequently asking. When I was visiting the, the poor people in the community, emaciated children that are suffering from diseases, that are suffering from lack of food, hunger, and those sort of things, I was asking a huge question in my life. Why God allow that suffering? Why actually God allow the evil people to come and to shoot innocent children? Why God allow that suffering? So that is a big question. Actually, today I picked a very big question uh, which is so complicated theologically. So I was asking those questions, and those questions are always coming on my mind. Why God allows that? Why God actually gives a vision to someone for the person to suffer, to go through that old suffering you heard uh, uh, Carla was speaking um, earlier? And we have millions of questions today. This is the, the generation on the face of the planet that has millions of questions because we want to prove everything. We need this reason for everything around us. We want to see what is in tomorrow. We want to know what is in tomorrow because uncertainty of tomorrow is certain to us. So we want to know what is in tomorrow. And once we get that knowledge, we want to depend on that knowledge to carry us through tomorrow. So we want to know what's going on around us. We have millions of questions. We want to prove that. This is actually the most enlightened generation that is asking millions of questions for everything that is going around us. The good thing tonight is I'm not going to answer any of those questions because I don't have the answer. After, after really struggling with those old questions, especially the question of why we suffer, why suffering is a big question to me because this is a question uh, uh, you struggle with uh, loving God, merciful God, God that is having everything and versus suffering. So this is a big theological question and very complicated. And I struggled with that one. Actually, at some point, God came and God helped me to think about the same question in a different way. Why we battle? 
Is that suffering? Ways we are battling, actually. Then I have an answer for this. And I can respond, because we are battling, then um, in, in any battlefield you see that there is casualty, there is uh, uh, bloodshed, there is wound, there is those all kind of uh, uh, problems are there when you are on a battlefield. So since January, I was reading my Bible. Um, and just to go through the Bible, when I arrived at the story that Carla was telling, it took me three weeks. And sometimes I was going to my family, the family that I'm staying with, and I, going, I was going to them and I was speaking to them because there is something in me that I cannot say it in your good English. And why God actually gave this 17 years boy and why he let him suffer. So I was, I was really looking into that one and I was reflecting on that one. That was the story of Joseph and his family. God went and God gave Joseph very fascinating vision. It's so fascinating. And he went, he was so happy, you know, just like this is a 17 years. How many of you are above 17? Okay, there are, there are many people that are below 17, 17. Interesting. I'm the oldest, I think. Um, so he went to this 17 years uh, boy and he gave him this amazing vision. And he was so happy because it's so fascinating. I mean, to be on the top of everyone is so fascinating. So he went and he told that story to his brother. And everyone went against him. Everyone went against him. They actually interpreted the vision in a different way. They say, are you going to be on, on this is what they said on, on number seven. I mean, verse um, seven. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? Because that was against the culture. In Israel, you need to be the firstborn to be on the top of everyone in the family. So this is against the norm, against the culture. And they say, are you going to be on, on us? Are you going to rule us, actually? They were so angry. Sometimes God gives us the vision, dream that is actually against our norm, against our culture. I don't know why God is doing that, but God is doing that. And God is sometimes coming to the family and saying, I need the smallest one in the family, just like what happened to David. And in our contemporary mind, we may say, um, this is unfair. Is that God is doing unfair? Unfair thing? I don't think God is doing unfair thing. God, whatever God is doing is fair to me. You can say unfair, whatever, but it is fair to me. Whatever God is doing is fair to me. So he, he gave him that vision. They interpreted it in a different way. Then again, he had another dream. Gosh, this boy is not st stopping dreaming. He's going and dreaming and coming and telling. <laughs> that, 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 is, that is fascinating, really. The second dream was actually serious because his father, even the second dream created anger in his father. His father said this. What is this dream? Are we all the family going to bow down in front of you? So he was so angry about that. So this is a big vision given to 17, uh, 17 years old. A big vision that would bring a big suffering. 
And it's so fascinating. Immediately after he told that story, what happened was the first thing, the first challenge, the first suffering came to his life was isolation. To be isolated from the loving father. This is not a simple isolation, by the way. I can tell you, I'm going to tell you my story, how painful it is when you are isolated from the loving father, the loving family. So he was isolated from his father, the loving father, the father that is always making such a beautiful clothes for him, always wanting to be around him. He isolated from that. Isolation from his brother, isolation from his, his father and mother and everyone. That's the first isolation. Attempt to be killed. His brothers, you've heard all the story. They say, the brothers, they said to each other, here comes the dreamer. Now it is very clear that they are against the dream. Because they even knew that God is going to do something very amazing, something very big in the life of this young kid. And in any cost, evil wanted to destroy him using his brother, his own brother. I came to Christ from the family that didn't believe in the presence of God. My dad was a top politician in, the, in, the, in that time, in, in a communist time. That was a communist regime. So um, I was 12 when I came to Christ, and I was actually, I love football, not your football, the soccer. <laughs> Yours is not football, it is handball. <laughs> so I, I really love football, and we, we always would play after, after our class, after, after school, we play together with my, uh, our friends around. And a missionary came to the place where we were playing football. And he came three days, and the, uh, he came two days, and the third day, he just came and he gave, because he saw, he, he told me that later on, he saw that I was a kid, and he, he was really struggling with the idea of telling me about Christ or not telling me. So finally, he gave me just um, New Testament, and he left. And the fourth day, he came back, and he called me, and he said, did you read the book? And I said, no. And he asked me if I'm willing to go with him for coffee, and I said, I love coffee. I don't know even when I start drinking coffee. If you invite me coffee at the union, you will be my best friend. <laughs> so he invited me coffee, and, and, and I went with him. I mean, in Ethiopia, I'm Ethiopian. In Ethiopia, if, if you invite people coffee, everyone goes with you. Don't worry. So I went with him. So he told me all the story of Christ. He actually, the first thing he said, I always remember is, he said, he died for you. And I said, even he didn't know me. I don't know him. How that happened? Because we didn't really have the concept of God in our family. Because everyone uh, would believe there is no God. You have to touch, you have to see whatever you believe. So he told me all the story and he took me to his, to his room where he was staying. And Christians were hiding that time. It was so hard to live for a Christian in the country. So he prayed for me. And immediately during that prayer, God transformed my heart. And I went home with my Bible. And my dad saw that Bible. And he asked me, where did you bring this Bible? And I said, someone gave it to me. Well, that was so tough, by the way, to talk to my dad because my dad was so strong person. He put everyone, he ordered everyone to go to the prison, I tell you. So, and he said, just go and throw this Bible into the toilet. Okay, we don't have the, the kind of toilet that you have now. Our toilet is the free fall. You know the free fall? Yeah, it is that kind of it is that kind of toilet. So you can you can throw whatever you want, you can throw into that toilet. So and he said, go and throw it in the toilet. And I say, why? And I say, 
go and do it. And I refused that. And I said, why am I not allowed to read this book? And he said, there are a lot of books that you read. We had a lot of books from Leninism, Marxism, whatever. Okay. Then he went, and, and, and then we had a little bit of confrontation. Then they chased me out from home, and I went, I went on the street. After some days, I came back because I saw my dad drinking outside, and he loved drink. He, loved, he, he drinks, actually. He, he would drink a lot. So, and I saw him, and I was so angry, I couldn't really stay outside on the street. Then I, I went home to ask for, for food. All of a sudden, he came, and he saw me at home. Then he again chased me out, and he followed me and tried to kill me six times. And I escaped that, and I left the place. It was so hard, 10 years of suffering. One year on the street, on the dusty ground, with no any love, any family. So that isolation was so painful, I tell you. So painful. That is the isolation that he saw in his life. You isolated at that age from your family. So why God does that? Why he calls someone, let the person suffer on the street that whole life? So, coming back to Joseph. Now Joseph was built and handsome. It's he, 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 he was well built and handsome. And the wife of his master, she saw that he was handsome. This troublemaking boy is a handsome, right? Is he? That troublemaking boy is handsome. She saw that, right? That troublemaking girl, is, she is beautiful, right? So that one. But what's the amazing thing is this boy, he knew what is allowed for him to do and what is not allowed for him to do. He knew that. And he said, my master has withheld nothing from me except you. Oh, that's hard, right? That's very hard. Because he said, he gave me everything except you because you are not mine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to really speak uh, a lot about this part because this is not, this is not the section. I'm talking about the suffering. So he went to the prison, as you see. He went to the prison, and he actually, what amazes me is the Bible says they took him to the prison. What kind of prison is that? It says it's special prison. It is a king's prison. Is there anyone from Africa? Is there anyone? Oh, that's, that's good. I can say whatever I want to say, right? So if you go to Africa, I know some African countries, especially my own country, there are prisons, special prisons. If you are a dangerous person, especially if you are dangerous for the politics, they put you in that kind of prison. It's a hard, hard prison. That kind of prison that Joseph went to, they took him to that kind of prison. It's a hard prison. And they took him to the, to the special suffering to be the special blessing. Amen. If I say that in Africa, everyone says amen. 
So they took him actually to the special prison to be the special blessing. He went to that prison. Now, the big question is, why actually God allowed that all to happen in his life? Why we suffer? Bible is very honest about this suffering. We cannot understand why God allows suffering, but God understands our sufferings. Amen? Yeah. We don't, we don't understand why sufferings are going around us, but we understand something. God understands our suffering. And he walked with us. So while when I was asking this question in my mind, there are four things that immediately came to my mind. Why we battle? The first thing is suffering is part of the fallen earth. And it is an indicator of the new planet to come. So why we suffer? Why kids are suffering? It's a lot of suffering that is going around, uh, around us. Leaders are terrified. Families are terrified. So why that all is happening? Actually, that is happening for something. One, it happened because we are living, we are a broken people living in a broken world. It, it is actually an indicator that this is not the perfect world. There is another perfect world. So he is directing our attention to the perfect world to come. Amen? That's the reason. That's the reason. When our first family, when they went against God, when they disobeyed God, God's sentence came to an operation. Not only would all eventually die, but suffering, pain, sorrow came part of the life of human being. So that is part of, part of the fallen world. Suffering and pain all around us. But all of them, they are sending a message. God's message to mankind that something is wrong. This is not the perfect place to be. Actually, it is telling God that you are not from here. You're going somewhere. It actually reminds us that we are walking to somewhere. So God used suffering to remind us that there is more to life than this life. I mean, there is something special coming. Suffering reminds us that life is temporary. It tells us, actually, God uses that suffering to motivate us to, to want more than what you see in your life today. The second thing, it teaches us fierce dependence on God. God actually used this. God uses suffering to draw us to himself. What I know while I was serving in, in a poor community is um, people who are suffering in many ways, they are actually very, very close and dependent on God. They always wait for everything, for every provision, they wait for, for God to provide. So it's actually it's a dependence on God. God actually wants people to realize their their own inadequacy and, and the ultimate uselessness of human effort. So something that you see on this one, th this is a question that I ask. This, uh, Raleigh said this. When I was looking to Joseph and his, his story in the Bible, God gave him that fascinating, fascinating vision, but God never said anything about the steps that he has to walk through. 
Did you ask this question any time? He gave him all those fascinating stories. I mean, just like to be on the top of everyone. And that's so fascinating for, for 17 years. Boy. But God never told him about the pit, about this isolation, about the sexual invitation, about prison. He never said anything. I feel he didn't say anything for two reasons. One, the message was not age appropriate. Because it is hard for Joseph that time to balance that huge vision and this kind of horrible journey. It was so hard for him to understand, to balance and say, okay, no matter what, I walk with God. It was so hard for him to accept that. Sometimes God may give you already a vision at this age. You may not know what to do with that. Please wait on God. So the second reason is, God, it, it, even for every one of us, God doesn't need to give us the steps that we have to go through because he walks us through. So when you drive, he is the driver. This is, this is the, I mean, you've already went through this one, right? I know you are fast. When we are taking tests in a class, within just like a few minutes, everyone is already, they left already the, the room. And sometimes I, I remain in the room alone. The professor is just waiting for me. You're a fast reader. I like that. So he said, life in Christ is like traveling on a Metrolink train with a predetermined destination. You are not the driver. Jesus is the driver. So you don't need to have, uh, in Mozambique, there are many people that, what do you mean with me in Mozambique? Can you raise your hand, please? Yes, there are many people. So, when, you know, you don't really know, need to know what are the potholes and what are the harms and whatever because he is the driver. You know what I mean? You don't need your PhD. In Mozambique, we say PhD. That is uh, pothole diving. So you have to dive. And I had that PhD. I scared, I scared mom several times. She is laughing at me at the back. So you don't need that because God himself is the driver. You, he... he he is not allowing you to drive. He is driving with you. He is the driver. You just sit at the back. Relax. Sit and relax. He is the driver. He, he knows when we have to arrive. He knows all the schedules. And There are some layoff. There are some delay. Yes, sometimes we delay. We mess around. We may delay for a year or months. We mess up with something and we delay. Yes, but still, remember this. What he says. At the bottom of the traffic light, there is a green light. That's so fascinating. So God actually uh, uh, teaches us dependence on him. I'm, I'm rushing to finish. Two points remaining. So the third point is for his glory. God is taking us through this suffering for his glory, for our benefit, and to double our blessings. That is what happened in the, in the life of Joseph that Carla was reading for us. So when I was in grade 10, this is a fascinating story, by the way. I love that story, and sometimes I cry when I remember that. You love to hear the story, right? This is a 10 years story that I have. So if you have a time, just sometimes sit with me, and I will tell you what God did in my life. That, makes, that gives me energy, by the way. It is when I'm telling my story of 10 years of persecution that I, I really realize that actually get energy. So... I was, I was kind of trying to support myself, and I was, I was doing some teaching. 
for two kids, and they would pay me $2.5. Have you ever worked? Per month, that is per month, $2.5. It was 20 Ethiopian bir, $2.5 that time. Now it is $1. That time the currency was strong. That was a monthly income that I had. So at some point, the church, they called me and they asked me to be the, the leader on five choir. I love singing, by the way. So five choir in the church. And it took me a week to reorganize some of the administration of those kind of things uh, uh, for our choirs in the church. And I couldn't go to teach those kids. Okay, and after a week, I went to that place and I started teaching them. And the mother just, she came, all of a sudden she came and she started yelling at me. She said, you are coming at any time you want. Actually, we, 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 we could have hired a teacher that can teach our, 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 our kids. Because you are poor and we want to support you, that's why we are actually giving you this job. And she was yelling at me. I remember what was, how she was really screaming. And she said, we don't need that anymore. And she said, go. That $2.5 was the money that I would pay for my rent. My rent was $2.5. Don't think that there is no toilet in that house. There is no, there is no anything, by the way. It is just like a, a matchbox kind of ha house. And I, I had the, the mattress, which is made of straw. And you put your mattress, you close the door, that is it. There is no sink, there is no bedroom, there is no sitting room. No, that, that, don't think that type of house. It is $2.5 house. So the whole night I was crying, God, what should I do after that? Okay, I would at that time. Some people, they give me some amount of money. I go and eat. Sometimes people invite me to eat with them. That's how I was living. But the house rent was so critical for me because I don't want to go back to the, to the street again because that was so painful. So painful. It's so cold outside. Then I was crying the whole night. And the second day, I was at the school, and one of, uh, 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 one of the girls that I know at the school, I was in grade 10, she was in grade 9, and she came and she said, Halkano, my mom wants to talk to you. And I said, your mom? She wants to talk to me? And she said, yes. Actually, I knew that is the, the, one of the richest family in that town. And I went to that in the afternoon after class. I went to their home, and I said she invited me tea. I don't like tea. I'm not a tea person. I like coffee. So after having that tea, and she just looked at me, and she said, Halkano, do you have a time to teach my kids? And I said, yes, I do. Of course I did. I had a time. And, and she just looked at me, and she said, I don't want to argue about money. I give you 100 Ethiopian, but that was five times my previous income. I mean, <laughs> that is really five, it's five. Now I would pay my rent, I can go out and eat. So some of the sufferings come in our life to actually double our blessings. I'm done. The fourth one is for the blessing of others. When I, now I can understand what, that, what it means really to be hungry. What does it mean to be outside? What it, I mean, what it, it, 
I mean, anyone, any child that is going through that life, now I can understand that. So God give you an opportunity to actually help them now, to bring, to bring that kind of uh, smile back to their face. You be with them. You identify with yourself with them. You share their burden. Now you know that Christ is the only hope, and you go and you give that hope. Can you go to the second slide? I'm done. So you identify yourself with them. You understand. God took Joseph to that, that, that place, you remember. From the prison, he went to the, the, to, to, to the palace. And what happened in his life after going through all that suffering was Joseph, he managed to plan the best disaster risk reduction strategy. I work in a humanitarian organization. No one in human history did such kind of perfect disaster um, risk reduction strategy for natural disaster. Natural disaster is a kind of disaster we go to, to mitigate after, the, after that disaster happened. Because it is hard for you to estimate the extent of this natural disaster. But Joseph did that. The kind of disaster risk reduction which could, would save 100% of the nation for seven years. No one did that. So God took him through that all kind of suffering to understand, to make, to be a blessing to others. Okay? You see some of my, my crazy bean friend. So you go, you identify yourself with them. You understand. Actually, when you go through the suffering, you understand what suffering means. So that is for the benefit of others. That's what happened in, in his life. It was worth leaving my family when I look back to what God did in, in my life. My family, they didn't know even if I was alive for 11 years. I went back home after I graduated from university, went to work for World Vision, and I called them. They didn't know I was alive. They knew after 11 years. But after that, my dad was in a prison. Uh, I didn't see my dad. He was killed. But my mother, my brother, and my sister, they came to Christ. They are with Christ now. So to begin to understand how God is being suffering, we need to evaluate such suffering in comparison with the outcome which it will achieve in glory. Do you have the last slide? Huh. So that is, I said four things that you remember. It tells you that you are not from here. You're actually going somewhere. You're living in a broken world. There is a perfect world. That's an indicator. It is for our blessing, for the glory of God. It, it teaches us dependence on God. And it is for the benefit of others. Thank you.